Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Operation Sequel. This week it's Final Fantasy XII, The Zodiac Age. Final Fantasy XII was developed and published by Square Enix. They had merged at this point. The director was Hiroyuki Ito and Hiroshi Managawa. And you can also throw Yasumi Matsuno in there because he was the starting director but he left about halfway through. The artists were Akiko Yoshida, Hideo Manaba, and I'm sorry if I butchered this name, Samu Kamakuro. The writers were Daisuke Watanabe, Miwa Shoda, and, of course, uh, Yasumi Matsuno, and you can very much tell that he's a big part of this. The composers were Hitoshi Sakamoto, Masaharu Iwata, and Hayato Matsuo. Originally for the PS2, it released in March of 2006 in Japan. In North America, it came out in October, and Australia and Europe had to wait until February of the next year. After that, it did get one of those international job system updates, kind of like Final Fantasy X, but that was only in Japan, and that was in August of 2007. It was ported in July of 2017 to the PS4 and Windows in February of 2018. And if you don't know any of the backstory behind the development of this, it's actually really interesting and kind of a little frustrating and sad of what happened i don't really want to tell you because you can look it up and it's a very interesting read but it does explain some of the weird things that happened with 12 like why it took so long and why it seems to be a little saggy in places but anywho i did play the zodiac age version for ps4 and there are some minor changes oddly enough there aren't cheats like there have been in the last couple of remasters of it but there are a double speed and thank god a quadruple speed which it's also a little weird to see a PS2 game, one that was arguably the best looking game on the system, running at quadruple speed. It's just a little weird. Some other changes that were made were, you know, now we have the international job system so you can pick the jobs and you also get a sub job later on. A lot of the enemies changed, a lot of the item placement changed, specifically when it comes to treasure chests. They really reshuffled that from the original version, which is a good thing, even though I just don't like the system that's in place, so it didn't really matter much to me. And of course, gambits have changed a little bit to where they'll let you buy whatever gambit you want straight off the bat instead of, you know, handing them out over the course of the game, which is really nice. Also, little things like auto-saving every time you enter a new area is really nice too because there are some areas where you enter and you just get slaughtered and it would really suck if you know it had been 40 minutes ago that you saved so that's a very nice improvement just little things like the uh, map overlay you now don't have to go into the menu to see your map you can have it up on your screen at all times not just the mini map the actual area map the best thing i can relate it to is something like in baldur's gate dark alliance or champions of norath or even Diablo 3, you know, those kind of map overlays on your screen. I think that's a plus and a minus, but we'll get to that later. Now, like I said before, my history with 12 is actually very slight. Like, I remember picking this game up well, you know, into the end of PS2 life cycle, so I had more than enough to play at that point. And I watched the opening cinematic, and wow, the, the opening cinematic is still great. Aircraft to aircraft combat, you don't really expect to see in a Final Fantasy game, but it works really well. It looks nice. But anyway, yeah, so I started it up, I played a very, very small amount, like enough to get to Rabinaster and, you know, goof around in there, and that was pretty much it. I left with the feeling of, eh, I don't really like it. 
my thoughts have changed on it, as I'm sure you'll see. So let's crack right into it, right? Luckily, I did happen to pick up the guide, which was monstrously expensive. At least when it came out, you know, it was sitting around the $40 range. But now, it's, geez, it's getting ridiculous for that hardcover special edition thing. If you're thinking about buying it, you could probably use the old guide, which you can get so much cheaper. And you'll be fine with it. I mean, there are a few things that this shows that that doesn't just because new updated for the, the remaster. But anyway, I'm rambling to the story blurb. A great era of peace and prosperity is fading. The stability bestowed upon Ivalice in the founding days of the Dynast King has been darkened by the likelihood of war between empires. Rosaria and Arcadia seem destined to collide, crushing whatever stands between them. Indeed, the Arcadian push west towards Rosaria has already consumed Nebratia and its sibling sovereignty, the small, peaceful kingdom of Dalmasca. In the Dalmascan capital city of Rabanaster, a new consul, Vane Solador, son of the Arcadian Emperor, arrives with a message of hope and renewal for the citizens of that subjugated land. However, his silver-tongued speech doesn't fully convince Vaughn, an orphan street boy who sees the Empire as the thieving bully that has robbed his country of wealth and dignity. Vaughn dreams of escape, seeing his future in the skies as a sky pirate. First, though, he wants a measure of revenge. His bold attempt to infiltrate the royal palace during the consul's inaugural fate to take back some of the treasure that belongs to Dalmasca leads Vaughn straight into the clasp of a destiny none could foresee. It is a destiny that includes an exhilarating adventure in the company of sky pirates, a princess, and a great fallen knight of the order. As such, the tale begins. Wow, that didn't have very many commas at all. Anyway, so yeah, that's the setup. If you've played any other Matsuno games, and he's pretty much Mr. Ogre, and I don't mean, you know, he's just an ugly guy or anything. I mean, he's worked on, you know, March of the Black Queen, Tactics Order, Let Us Cling Together, pretty much anything that has that kind of system. Uh, Final Fantasy Tactics as well. It's a big part of that. He very much likes political intrigue as his kind of all-encompassing story. Maybe not so much down to the character level, but at least, you know, that big overarching story. It's almost always very political. And that's actually going to be the first problem here. And it's a fairly common problem, at least, you know, if me looking is any indication. This story is not as well-liked as many other Final Fantasy games. You have your people that love the Mitsuno games, and they really like that kind of empire at another empire's throat and all the political intrigue and all the um, inward deceptions that go on, people trying to strive for power. I personally, that doesn't do much for me. Like, I mean, even Final Fantasy Tactics, it was interesting, but it's not going to be on the level of other video games stories that I enjoy. And so I'm not exactly the biggest fan of this story. Not to say it's badly done at all. It kind of reeks a lot of Final Fantasy IV, but it's not a bad story. And I think some of the problem lays in the way they tell it. But anyway, we'll save that for a little bit later. So, the big conceit behind Final Fantasy XII is, you can tell the people who worked on it really liked Final Fantasy XI. Like, this game is, other than Dot .hack, and I don't even think Dot .hack does it as well, really, really embodies the offline MMO feel. And personally, I'm a fan of that. I really like that feeling in a game. I guess, let's, let's crack right into the combat, because that is a huge part of any MMO or offline MMO. So the combat here is very much, you know, your Warcraft, your Final Fantasy, you hit attack 
on a person and it the active time bar fills and when that fills you will do an attack and you can interrupt at any time to give orders to different people so you know if you want them to stop their attack use an item really quick or you know oh hey this foe showed up that's weak to fire you can have them stop just plain jane attacking and start doing fire spells things like that so think auto battle but you can interrupt at any given time now the real wrinkle that comes with this and this is an amazing wrinkle it's the best looking wrinkle in the world is the gambit system and by and large the gambit system works amazing the gambit system is a very very simple list of ai commands that you can use and we're talking in along the lines of uh, if the foe is weak to fire use fire spells if hp is at 50 percent cast cura it's more a lot of these if then action kind of triggers now there is some weakness with this like you can't really use it to maintain buffs on yourself i mean it could really use a if blank then blank kind of command but it really doesn't have that if you have like you know any ally cast protect it'll just keep casting protect now the real fun of this game is it well it, it's kind of an optimization game and i really like optimization engines and so a lot of the fun and enjoyment you'll get out of the combat in this is tweaking those to where they work just right where they don't even need you i know it's kind of antithetical to the whole idea of playing a game but it pushes all those same buttons that a well-oiled machine of your creation pushes and of course it's not something you can that's my dog hold on a second and it's not something you can just set and forget unless you're massively leveled because a lot of times you will have to break in and say oh you know something happened i need to put out this brush fire really quick and then it can go back to business as usual and personally, I'm a huge fan of this. I'm actually kind of disappointed that no game does this again. I mean, Final Fantasy XIII sort of does with its auto battle, but it's not near as customizable or as open as the Gambit system is. And this has got to be the game that is the easiest to go and farm for equipment, go and farm for money, go and farm for just the, the fun of farming. Because, well, at least in the Zodiac Age, I found myself just slapping on quadruple speed, running around, killing a whole bunch of monsters, and just enjoying it because everything was flowing smoothly. It also is a nice way to work out some kinks in the Gambit system you've got set up. You know, you kind of set it up, and then you want to test it to make sure it works okay before you go into a zone where, you know, things might kill you. The combat system, absolutely amazing. If it sounds like you don't like it, give it a try because it's really good and you can still play without the gambits it would be a lot more tedium but you could still do it without gambits and i mean for the most part i had just very simple gambits running of you know if ally is afflicted with a status you know do this and i had that for a whole bunch of statuses and then it was just like you know attack with lowest hp so you can just you know knock out groups of enemies so, I mean, it didn't take a long time to get a good set running, especially in Zodiac Age where you can just buy the gambits right off the bat. And I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but it aligning more with Final Fantasy XI or any other MMO, there are no random battles. You can see your enemies before that, you know, they're in that attack range. So if you're careful, you can scoot by. You can also just hold R2 and none of your characters will engage and you can just run through an area, which is also nice. I guess 
uh, ancillary to this is the kind of upgrade system that this game has. This game has what they call license board. So when you pick a class, you get a board that vaguely matches a zodiac sign because, you know, zodiac age and all that. And what this is, is this is kind of like a checkerboard in a certain design that acts a lot like your sphere grid. I think it's a lot more open than a sphere grid because you can choose to upgrade down paths that might not be for later in the game right away. So you have an initial starting point, but then you have so many branching paths you could take to where if you want to focus on, no, look, I, I got to get Kiraga really fast. You could get Kiraga before, you know, you get the licenses to wear certain equipment. It's going to be very hard, but you could do it. So there is a lot more freedom and openness in this game in terms of upgrade path, how you want to build your class. Now, that being said, there are, well, okay, let's, the classes are not created equal. There are a lot of classes that feel like they're mainly just for support, and that's fine. It's just, I wish there was something to kind of denote that, like Machinist is a good class it uses guns which bypass defense so you don't really have to worry about any of your stats so you generally want to give that to a weaker character but it doesn't have as much offensive capability as say a bushi does or a shikari and then you have like archer which i'm a sucker for archer i love archers but that's not exactly a very high damage class that's kind of a hybrid between a ranged and a red mage like they get very small amounts of magic and a lot of kind of situational abilities and i i i kind of felt burnt picking archer now i didn't do any research going into this because i wanted to go into this blind i didn't want you know to min max because this game is like a min maxer's dream like it, it was very hard not to be like hmm, okay what order should we upgrade in what what classes should we stick together uh, it was very hard not to do that because i love to do that you might want to do a little bit of research into your classes before you pick them, because once you pick them, that's it for the rest of the game. So, especially if it's on a character you like, definitely make sure you want that class. Personally, I, I wanted to play this a little weird, right? Because everywhere I read, it said, make sure you have a well-rounded party. Okay, we can do that. Let's make this interesting and not have a well-rounded party. And so I picked three people, and it, it's the three people I liked in this game, but I picked them, and that's it. That's all I used. And so towards the end of the game, I had Balthier, Fran, and Pinello up to 52, and, like, Bosch, Ash, and Vaughn were, like, 20s. So it is possible to pick a group of characters you like with a group of classes you like and just bang your head up against it. I'm sure this game's difficulty would have been meted a little bit, sh you know, had I actually done what was suggested. But this was actually a lot of fun because you, you had a class and it's like, all right, this is it. This is what I'm stuck with. Let me figure out a way to use this class's ability around the problem instead of switching to a class that could plow right through it. So it, it had a lot of lateral thinking involved, and it was a lot of fun. I actually really recommend you do that. That being said, this game isn't very difficult at all, especially with the ease of use in farming to gain a couple levels. This game is pretty easy. Now, I, I did check the guide, and I did end up overleveled for the final couple of bosses. Like, they recommend you be at least, like, level 45 or so, and I was... 52 to 56 
depending on you know who it was. So yes, I was over leveled for this, but I never really ran into any walls that weren't hunt related. And speaking of the hunts, so this doesn't really have any made major side activity to do. So it doesn't have like, you know, a Tetra Master, it doesn't have like a Blitz Ball. It has hunts. And I actually have a beef to pick with hunts, because hunts are a great idea. You know, you go to the board, you pick, okay, I want to go after this creature. Then you have to go talk to the person who put the bill up on the board. And that is where the problem lies. You can't just pick it up and go hunting for, like, an MMO terms, a notorious monster, and then have that be the end of it. So you can pick up a, a hunt in Rabinaster, have to go, you know, halfway across the world to a different city, talk to the guy, then come halfway back across the world to go to the place where the monster is. And all of that running around and all that talking really diminishes what could have been a great fun activity. Because a lot of these hunts act like mini-bosses. And some of them are way harder than anything you'll hit in the story. And if you run into a wall early on, it's generally going to be on a hunt. So this is a great idea and I really like it. But the problem is there are a lot of footsteps and really bad dialogue things to go through to get to the fun part. So, in one term, I really like it. In the other term, it's really too much hassle. Like, I guess that's the best way I could put it. It's a lot of hassle. But if you don't mind that hassle, and it could be just me, then hunts are almost more of a reason to play this game than the main story for me. Because that was a lot of fun finding each boss, figuring out how to work. Okay, how can I customize my gambits to kind of counteract what he's going to do? Things like that. It was really great. Speaking of things that are really great... This is our third, if you count Final Fantasy X2, our third mainline Final Fantasy that has voice acting in it. And while 10, you could find some weaknesses in 10. Some people really don't like Tidus, or they find, you know, just the voice acting bad, or same with Final Fantasy X2, you know, hit or miss voice acting. Generally, all of the voice acting in 12 is fantastic. And, I mean, they got a heck of a cast here. I mean, uh, the standouts for me were Balthier. Like, I really liked Balthier. He was really good. He, but Fran did an amazing job. And, I mean, they got big names, too, like Phil Lamar and Dwight Schultz and Yuri Lowenthal. I mean, a lot of these big names we know today are in this game. It's amazing. So, major props go to the voice cast. It's absolutely fantastic. The only problem is you can sort of tell the, the compression of the audio. It's not like they could get all these guys back to repeat their lines or anything, so they kind of just had to use what was there. And you can tell it was like PS2-era audio in some cases. Don't let that bother you because the performances here are great. So speaking of performances, let's get a little bit into the cast. So first off, we have Vaughn. And Vaughn is the biggest wet fart you're ever going to see. I think they purposely made him uninteresting because it just kind of played well with the story. Of, you know, he's just this kid that's along for the ride. And that's perfectly fine. You can't wait to replace him in the party. Like, as soon as you get the ability to switch him out, you're like, yep, goodbye, Vaughn. There you go. Voice actor, like I said, did good. It was just, he is not very interesting. Actually, that's a problem I have with a lot of the cast in this game. Uh, Pinello. Pinello is your typical Final Fantasy teenage girl. And I hate to reduce it to that, but that's kind of what she is. You know, she's your Riku. She's your, your Garnet. She, she's just that, 
right? But I really like her character. They don't have her say much, and she doesn't do much, but she's kind of the voice of reason in the game in a couple places, and I really like that. It's very good. So she gets an A+, and that's why she was in my party. Now, the other two people in the party are Balthier, which is, like, I swear, the person who did his voice really liked the Pierce Brosnan Bond, because he's just channeling that so hard. And that might be why I'm a sucker for that, because that is my favorite Bond. But, yeah, Balthier is, is an amazingly cool character that kind of sucks he's in this game, because he is very much a side character. He, he's kind of, he's in between side character in your party and main protagonist. Like, he's in that dead zone there. He's important to the plot, but he's not as focused on as, say, Ash. So, yeah, Balthier was slot number two in the party. And next we have Fran, who is his Vera sidekick. And it's weird because Fran is the only non-human member of your party, which I don't really like in Final Fantasies. Like, you know, I play fantasy games for a reason. Let's let's get some weird creatures in here. Maybe not as weird as Queena, but, you know, give me, give me a Banga or give me one of the new or something like that. Because they're all the races that you've seen in Final Fantasy Tactic Advance and... Some in Final Fantasy Tactics, they're all here. It's just that world of Ivalice, and I don't really want to go into explaining all that. But yeah, so there are a bunch of different races in this world, or I guess species, but you really only get one of the Vera. See, here's the thing. I'm kind of split down the middle with Fran because, yeah, she's totally just square trying to do sexy bunny girl, but I really like that character. Like, they designed her to be very sexualized, but she's not in the story. It's weird. And so, you know, it's like, okay, well, if I use her, I'm kind of falling into that trap, but I really like her. So, I don't know. Also, her voice actress is very good. Like, I really like it. She doesn't get any much lines either, but the weird accent she does, kind of cool. I really like it. It's kind of a faux Icelandic accent, so it's it's pretty cool. Next, we have Ash. And, you know what, when I said Pinello was like your garnet, I was wrong. Ash is your garnet. Ash is the deposed princess of Dalmasca. You know, through half of the story, it's she's, you know, kind of incognito with your group. And then you get that scene where it's like, oh, you're a princess. I mean, I hate that. Because, you know, just taking a look at the last couple of what America's version of royalty would be, would be presidents. Dude, I would totally recognize Barack Obama. I don't care how he dresses. That's I'll know what he looks like He'll, if he puts on. I mean, that's, that's the thing. She doesn't even do like the Clark Kent glasses. It's just, oh. Evidently, you don't know what your royalty looks like. That's weird. And so it has that dumb scene. But anyway, we're talking about the characters. She's all right. She's the character that pushes forth the main theme of this game more than anybody else. Like, she is the center part of this story. And ancillary to her is Bosch, which is... Should I give away Bosch's story? No, you know what? Uh, Bosch is a knight that has been disgraced because of regicide. I couldn't think of the word. I'm sorry. He is accused of regicide, and he's there rotting in prison. That's all I'm going to say about Bosch, because his story has a couple twists. But yes, uh, Bosch is actually a good character. Like, I like him, but he's not cooler than Balthier or Fran. So, sorry, buddy, you're on the bench. But yeah, so my party consisted of Balthier, Fran, and Pinello the whole game. Pinello was my white mage and machinist. So whenever she did get the opportunity to do a pot shot, I didn't have to worry about stats. So she, that, was, that was nice. Fran was, sadly, archer and red mage. And I shouldn't have made her archer. 
I don't think, because her damage output was lacking through most of the game, but she was a good backup healer, so... And then Balthier was my Monk Black Mage. Shouldn't have made him Black Mage, because I don't think magic is as good in this as it is in other games. Unless you go whole hog, magic did not really do the same amount of damage as physical attacking. So I don't know if that's because I didn't go all in on the magic, but hit the Black Mage side of him... Other than some of the useful things you get, like status ailments, things like that, weren't used very much. So that might have just been that I didn't go all in on the magic end. But hey, that's what New Game Plus is for, right? Or just new games in general. Like if I had to go through again, I wouldn't make Fran an archer and I wouldn't make Balthier a black mage. And some of my problem is a lot of these classes, at least that I saw... They don't have a lot of special abilities behind them. Like, some of them do. But Monk really didn't have much that set him out as a monk, if you know what I mean. First of all, they use staves. And you can go barehanded, but it's just easier to go staves. And, like, the Machinist has a couple abilities that, that make it feel kind of like a Machinist. And, of course, Archer, duh, with the bow. But some of the classes don't feel as fleshed out or as indicative of their class. As other ones do. So again, it's not a huge thing. It's just a little thing that irks me. And speaking of little things that irk me, let's get on with this. The camera gets really janky sometimes. And you won't really run into this in battle. Because most battles take place in open areas. But it did make exploring a pain sometimes. It, it's that general PS2 problem of you're up against a wall. And so that camera does just a 90 degree angle down. And you can't really see much around you kind of just more indicative of the time also that mini map in the upper right corner is damn near useless like this would get really annoying to navigate if you didn't have that on-screen map because while that does show you where enemies are it is so tight in what it shows that you can't really navigate with it and so if you don't have the map from the zodiac age you're wandering around a lot because you can get lost in a lot of these corridors and as I hinted to before, uh, the game looks amazing. The character models kind of look like Vagrant Story, which would make a lot of sense. Character models, like on the PS2, I think they look better than they do now. Because you had that general fuzziness of the PS2 era. Now they look kind of weird. They got these really dark circles under their eyes and it's kind of mushy i'm not a huge fan of it i mean again it's not a huge deal breaker it's just kind of weird that i noticed a couple of things i didn't like uh just before we get into like you know the meat of it even though i am running long and i should wrap this up at some point is with this setup of gambits there's not a lot of room for user error so it is quite easy to punch well above your weight like, I mean, I was level 30, and because everything was going smooth and it was a nice oiled machine, I was killing things that were level 37, level 40. So it, it, it kind of adds to the exploration to have a good gambit system going, or at least be very careful with your battles. Because the way this system works, it is very easy to punch above your weight, like I said. Uh, especially when you have guest members in your party, which now they are controllable, whereas before they weren't. So, going from a three-person party to a four-person party, and generally your guest characters are fairly leveled, that's actually a really good time to go explore if you want. Now, speaking of exploration, the thing I don't like about the items are the items 
I guess you would play treasure chests. The treasure chests are kind of what's in them is pulled from a random pool and they respawn. So you can go into a zone, get all the treasure chests, come back out. I believe it's one or two zones away. Then you go back in and potentially they could be completely different things, whether more valuable or less valuable, like differing values of gill, maybe a, a different item. There are some chests that are locked to a certain thing, like generally weapons or spells, things like that. But for the most part, I ignored a lot of treasure chests because it, it, I don't want to have to go over there and get, oh, look, it's 47 gill. So you can't really do that whole, okay, what's in that chest? Is it worth it? Uh, probably not. Um, actually, same problem with like Secret of Mana, if I remember correctly, or Sword of Mana. The one on GBA, you had that problem where what was in chest was not very valuable at all, and so it kind of just de-incentivizes you from getting it. So yeah, treasure hunting is kind of in this. I also don't like that random pool. It, it just annoys me. Also, this game has a lot of areas that are kind of like Final Fantasy X's Cloister of Trials. A lot of really puzzle-heavy areas, especially towards the end. And what sets this apart from ten is that you don't have to worry about random battles. You can see your battles coming, which helps you to avoid it. And you can also run away without having to hit, you know, a transition screen or anything like that. So I don't dislike the puzzles as much in this because when you do get interrupted, it's over in a flash and you you can run away from it if you want without any interruptions to your thought process. That being said, the place Gear of Vagan can rot in hell. Because, ugh, that place, it was a navigation puzzle, and it was just a slog. Actually, that end game is kind of a slog. The last two dungeons, you're gonna be tired of them before you're done, if you know what I mean. And if you're playing the original version of the game, God help you with that useless minimap. I mean, there's some of the problem there, right? Like It's like Detective Vision in Arkham. It's so useful that you don't want to walk around with it off. But the game looks better with it off. So, yeah, th this game looks better without that mini-map overlay right in the center of your screen. But it's just so darn useful that you don't want to take it down. So, it, yeah, it kind of has that Detective Vision problem. Okay, so let's talk story. The grand overarching story is lifted straight from 4. It is very much this kingdom wants these stones, so it invades other kingdom without explanation to get stones, and continues to push forward their war machine. Actually, 9 too. So I'm guessing somebody at Square really likes that conceit to a story. Now, what sets this above, not above, but differentiates it, is all of the political machinations that go on around those events. In terms of villain, I think Vayne is pretty good. The problem is, for most of the game, until you get the reveal of, oh, they're looking for the, the Nethesite, which are the magical stones of the plot, he doesn't seem like that bad of a guy, and that's actually a really good idea. So it's not really until halfway that he makes that villain turn. So up until that point, you're wondering, okay, who's the bad guy? What's going on? You do have to pay attention to things that are going on, which really sucks when they dish it out in such a haphazard fashion. Like the story is not told very well because sometimes there's a lot of time 
between your next story blurb. And generally those will be filled with little character moments maybe, but the overarching plot can sometimes get lost in the shuffle of things that are going on. And I don't think that's a very good way to do it. Granted, I didn't really have much trouble following it, so maybe it's just, you know, don't mindlessly play it unless you want to skip all the cutscenes, which I'm guessing a lot of people do, judging by the way people think of the story. I would like to say this might be my favorite Sid. Like, between this, 4, and 9, I think those are your best Sids. And I think this one might win only because the voice actor behind it did a great job. But yeah, so, sorry, back to the story. I think this is one of the weaker stories for me. I can't say objectively, this is kind of a weak story because political machinations don't do much for me. Other, well, you know what? Even in The Witcher, even in The Witcher, it, it a game which I absolutely love, it was kind of, I, I don't care about Redania. Let's just get back to Geralt. And the problem is it doesn't spend a lot of time on the characters. The characters other than Ash don't really change. Vaughn is the same, Pinello's the same, Balthier's the same, Fran's the same. They're all the same other than Bosch and Ash. So you don't even have a lot of character development to look forward to. It's more like you see a lot of character situations without a lot of growth. Even the overarching theme of this is very much having to do with political power and should you use a nuclear option or should you move on for the good of your country and you know it, it's grand themes around countries not people even though there is a little bit there about moving on and forgiveness kind of thing and that's kind of my problem with matsuno's games they are just amazingly fun and yeah i guess this is his final thoughts they are amazingly fun to play and tweak and mess around with all the little machine bits that go in there because he does amazing work in gameplay machines unless political intrigue is your jam not gonna really click with the story very much and i guess that's kind of where i fall i think everybody should play this even you know what actually especially if you're not a fan of jrpgs because this battle system is so different and at its base level so easy and uncomplicated that it would work great if you don't like rpgs you can, however, go deeper, and, you know, you do need to on some of the optional bosses and things like that. But for the most part, you can just keep this at a very base level and be fine. So, yeah, if you have a friend that doesn't like RPGs and like, ah, I don't like, you know, hitting X to attack and all that, tell them to play this. And I'm actually really sad that this never went on. I mean, like I said, other than Final Fantasy XIII, Gambit's kind of just pfft, disappear. Looking ahead... I can see why, because they went from 13's kind of very quick ATB to completely fully action-based with 15. So I can see there's not a lot there in the interim to stick Gambits into, but I would love to see another Gambit-based uh, game. And I, I, if I remember correctly, it's been a long time, but I believe Dragon Age Origins kind of had something like these triggers in them too. So if you're looking for another game that's sort of like it, yeah, give that a shot. But yeah, so all in all, I'm very glad I played Final Fantasy XII. Definitely play the Zodiac Age over the original. Again, this is kind of the same thing as Ten or Nine or a lot of these remasters. They are completely obsoleting the old ones. There's no reason to go play the old ones, so don't even bother because it'll just be more frustration. And if you have played any of the Final Fantasy MMOs, it's kind of cool to see little bits and pieces that you recognize. Like the Mandragas from Final Fantasy XI, those cute little onion guys... 
you know, you see them as enemies, you're like, oh, hey, I recognize those. Or the fact that, you know, Rabbit Astra feels a lot like Old Da from Final Fantasy fourteen. It's kind of cool to see those things. It's kind of sad, the development story that went on with this. But the end product, I think, works really great. So yes, you should totally play Final Fantasy XII. It's a blast. And with quadruple speed, it'll go that quick. Oh, and in case you're wondering, I spent around 40 hours in this. And in case you're really nerdy and you want to know, I believe it was 382,000 steps. Because there are abilities that are linked to your steps. Like how many steps you've taken. So there's a little step counter down at the bottom of the screen. It's kind of cool. So next, we have what's considered a not very good game. And that's Final Fantasy XIII. So I guess all that's left for me to say is thank you very much for listening, and we will catch you next time.